Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I have Ryan Carter of Spanish Fork, Utah. Ryan owns and operates DC Outfitters, guides for uh, elk and big game in Utah. Ryan, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you, Jay? Good. I'm excited to have you here on the show. And uh, today we're going to be talking with the uh, deadline for the Utah uh, big game hunting applications, I believe, are due this Thursday on March 2nd. Um, so I wanted to have you on to uh, pick your brain a little bit of how things are uh, going in Utah. And um, I, I know you had a ha- had a great season last year, and I know you can bring some uh, expertise to the podcast as far as uh, applying in Utah and what units may, might be better for others and uh, maybe some of the trends and stuff you see going on. So uh, let's have fun with it today, huh? Yeah, no, I'm excited to talk to you. I've been a longtime fan, so this is great. Sounds good. So you live in Spanish Fork, Utah. Where is that? Um, not, I've been in Utah a little bit, but I'm not extremely um, uh, familiar with Spanish Fork. Spanish Fork is about dead center. It's maybe 40 miles north of dead center, Utah. So I'm kind of right in the middle of everything. I'm 45 minutes south of Salt Lake and a couple hours north of where I guide for elk. Okay. Um, where did you uh, grow up hunting? Are you born and raised in Utah? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you how you grew up hunting and, and how you got into guiding and such? <laughs> well, you bet. I grew up in Payson, Utah, which is um, about 10 minutes south of where I'm at now. Um, I, I grew up hunting with my grandpa, but I never really got too deep into it. Um, he, he was a big mule deer hunter. I hunted mule deer with him all growing up. And then um, going through my teen years, I was, I was more into skateboarding and snowboarding. <laughs> and then about the age of 27, 28, I got busted up really bad in a motorcycle accident and had to slow down. That's when I started bow hunting and was guiding within three or four years of that. I just got hooked on elk. So is elk, would you say, is that your primary passion and your primary focus with your guiding business? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I do love mule deer hunting and I get out occasionally. I used to guide mule deer um, a little bit on the Henry's, killed some pretty big bucks down there, but anymore, um, elk's about all I have time for. I take, I don't know, four or five weeks off a year and that's, that's what I focus all my time on. And if I get any spare time, I usually go chase some whitetails back east. Right on. Um, we're going to get into how kind of the Utah draw works and such. Um, before that, like if you had to pick a handful of units, like what are your bread and butter units that you like to spend most of your time in uh, there in Utah? Um, for elk specifically? Yeah. Okay. Um, I spend most of my time on the boulder unit. I do... Um, I do guide other units. I spend a lot of time on the Dutton, the Fish Lake. Um, I started guiding on the Nebo and the Manti back in Utah's really good years, 2006 through nine, um, before I transitioned to more Southern. Um, I, I still spend a little time on those units and I spend some time um, on, the, on the Monroe a little bit, but mostly, uh, because I base out of the boulder in the Dutton anymore, that's kind of where I take most of my clients. 
Sounds good. Well, it'll be fun to talk about those units. I uh, spent a little bit of time in the Boulder uh, years ago. A, a friend of mine, Steve Chapel, actually had an archery tag there. I want to say back in like uh, 05 or 06, 07, somewhere in there. And um, and then I had the beaver archery tag myself last year. And um, so, yeah, I I... I I really enjoyed uh, my hunt last year on the beaver and just got an incredible experience and, and uh, beautiful, beautiful country. And, you know, coming from Arizona, uh, most of the country that, that we hunt is, you know, um, you know, out in the cedars, out in the, you know, the junipers. And um, we do have some ponderosa pine, but uh, n- nothing like some of the country that I saw on the beaver. Uh, before we get into units specific, though, Ryan, um, for those listeners out there that aren't familiar with how the Utah draw works, um, can you kind of walk us through, uh, you know, how that process works? Yeah. So the Utah draw uh, is a lottery system, like most of the states. Um, you build points on a yearly basis. There's no uh, bonus points or classes you can take to get more. It's strictly a year by year basis. So 12 years of putting in is 12 points. Um, so it, it does take a while. Uh, Utah, uh, has a decent elk herd population, about 80,000 is what they're telling us. Um, but it's not as big as like Colorado. So there are limited amount of tags, especially on the limited entry elk units. And Utah's broke up into three different elk kind of seasons or hunts. Uh, one is for spike bull units, and a lot of these overlap onto the limited entry units. Uh, those are kind of general season tags. They sell 17,000 permits for the counter um, for spike bulls only. There are some any bull units, which are units that uh, you can buy over the counter. You can shoot branch antler bulls. Um, most of the bulls that come off these units aren't very big, and they sell. I, I seems between fifteen and seventeen thousand of those tags, and maybe five or six hundred bulls get killed. They're not very good units and not high success rates. Our limited entry units. Um, those are the ones you put in on the lottery hunts, and where you build points to draw. Um, Depending on how far, how many years you've put in, um, you get put into different uh, categories to how they're drawing the permit. So if, if they, they have what's called a max point pool. So if, if you are the max point holder, say there's um, people have been putting in for 12 years and you have 12 points, you are the top guy, you get turned into a max point pool. Half of the permits, say there's, five non-resident permits or six non-resident permits for that unit, three of them go to the max point pool. So if you're that guy with 12 points, you get put in for the max point pool. And depending on how many guys are in that pool with you, it kind of changes your statistics, your percentages on how you draw, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's some units like the Beaver last year, uh, when I drew that unit, it only has one non-resident tag, so that actually goes into completely random, meaning that if there's only one tag, uh, anybody can draw it. I happen to have 16 points, 
but it could have gone to someone with uh, no points or let's say one point. Yep. And if, so yeah, if, if it's a, it's a one point or if it's an odd number, it gets rounded down to the lowest number. So if they have five non-resident tags for that unit, say it's um, the Pavant, um, they give two to the max point pool and three goes to everybody. So when everybody gets put in, say even for your like one permit, you get your, your you get your name put in the hat 16 times for like what you had. So that ups your odds, but it's still pretty bad because you don't have a max point pool. So even at that, you got really lucky. Uh, Yeah, I think it was a (laughs) one in 72 um, chance. Uh, So, but I want to back up here um, and just go over a couple things. One is spike bull, and then there's any bull, and then there's limited entry. From what I Mm -hmm. understand, the spike bull, that's over-the-counter archery spike and cow. So... Um, this is what I had a little bit of hard time wrapping my arms around is at the same time that I was hunting on the beaver, there were people there that were over the counter uh, spike and cow hunts. And, and correct me if I say anything wrong here, but it's my understanding that that anybody, non-resident or resident, could buy an over the counter archery spike and archery cow hunt. And you could hunt at exactly the same dates as the limited entry, except for, I believe, the last seven days. And those last seven days then are just for the limited entry. So in essence, I could go hunt the beaver with my bow just like I did last year, but I could only shoot a cow or only shoot a spike. And I think that's one thing that is kind of um, not a lot of people, I mean, there's a lot of people that go hunt it, so I don't want to say like it's some hidden deal. But, I mean, we get calls from people all the time just saying, I just want to go elk hunting. Well, shoot, you can pick pretty much any unit in Utah and go hunt spike or cow all the way until, you know, what would that be? The, the uh, 8th of September. Yeah, yeah I mean, if it that, ends yeah. on the 15th, you know, seven days, so, you know, 7th or 8th of September, you can go hunt mm-hmm. cow or, or spike on the best units in the state every single year yeah every yep. single year and then where i where i get a little bit lost is you talk about these any bull units now is is that archery or are those rifle what, what kind of permits are those any bull units they, they have both so you can you can do archery you can do rifle um and, and then there's a youth hunt on those units as well for just for kids uh, most of the units, um, so there is a small herd of elk on like the Henry Mountains, our famous Henry's full of mule deer. There are elk there, and and they never go away because a lot of them are wintering elk off the Boulder unit, and they make their way across Capitol Reef into the into the Henry's. So that unit stays open because they don't want the elk there at all. So if the elk happen to migrate that far over, uh, it's open bull, they kill them. Uh, West Beaver, um, the, the opposite side of I-15 from where you were hunting, um, that is an any bull unit. They opened that up maybe five or six years ago. Uh, used to be some of our best elk hunting in the state. Um, now it's any bull because they're trying to manage the, I, I think it has more to do with grazing rights for cattle than anything else. But they, they did open that unit up. 
um, some giant bulls got hammered <laughs> that year. And then um, I, I, I think the whole thing has to do with them controlling what elk herds they have where. Um, the high UNs have always been an open bull unit. It's a huge, huge area. Um, Utah's highest elevations, um, some of our biggest mountains, and there's a couple thousand elk in the entire uh, range. And people don't do well on that hunt, but guys do kill branch antler bulls, and that some people make it a tradition and do pretty well. Um, but there's only a handful of those units, and they're very small. And like I said, success rate's tiny. If it's 10% on rifle and 5% on archery, I'd be shocked. Do you know guys? Units. Do you know guys that are local there that hunt the general units every year? Guys that really know their stuff and they just they kill an elk every single year on those general units. I mean, like, can it be done? Um, oh yeah. Or is it just people everywhere and a horrible hunt? Well, it, it depends on what kind of hunting you like. If if you are the kind of guy that knows how to who knows how to hunt in crowds who knows kind of where the elk are going to be and when they're, where they're going to run when opening day comes, you're the guy that's going to kill an elk every year. And yeah, there's plenty of guys that do it. There really are. There, there's guys that know those units well, and that's what they love to do. It's not my style of hunting, so I don't take part in that, but it, there are a lot of people that do it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's uh, an opportunity. Um, you know, I, I, I was there. I actually didn't show up for my beaver hunt till the 1st of September. And I have a feeling that I probably missed the, the main onslaught of uh, archery spike and cow. I, I ran into a few people on the weekends here and there. Um, but I, I imagine a bunch of them go out and hit it full force, um, you know, in, in August when it first opens up. The other interesting thing uh, for people applying in Utah that they need to know is that uh, over-the-counter archery deer. Now, I may be wrong on that. Um, actually, it's not over-the-counter archery deer, is it? It's it's it's. Uh, yeah, there's there's units. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is it over-the-counter? No, is you have to draw deer or draw. Okay. It's a, it used to be over-the-counter. Now they're draw, and it takes it might. Well, non-residents can get that tag every year. Residents, it takes one or two years to draw because we have so many applicants and not a lot of non-residents want to pay the fee for Utah's deer just because a lot of the units don't carry giant bucks like they used to. And so non-residents can actually pull those general units like your beaver area. You could actually draw that archery tag every single year from Arizona. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And, you know, um, I, I didn't have a lot of problems, um, with people, uh, I, I certainly saw people, but you know, it wasn't like, you know, I was doing a lot of glassing. So maybe if I was actually out, you know, running around, I would have ran into more. I thought there was going to be more than there was. Um, you know, but like I said, I showed up for the last 16 days of the hunt. And then I believe the deer hunters can hunt all the way to the end of the season. Whereas those spike and cow, I think they have to stop with seven days to go. I think so this coming year, they would have to stop on September 9th, I, I believe. Um, yeah. But just to make a point, I mean, you could literally, if, if you're, I don't, I don't want to have, you know, 3 million people show up. But if, if you want to hunt 
spike or cow, you can go hunt some of the best units in Utah uh, with your bow and shoot a cow and, um, you know, get to at least, I, I would recommend if someone's, you know, got a bunch of points and they're kind of getting close to where they're going to be, um, you know, drawing those units, you correct me if I'm wrong, but you can get the over the counter tag and it does not affect your uh, limited entry points or, or anything like that, right? No, it doesn't. So, and that's a, that's a really good point. I, I tell people all the time, if, if you've got a bunch of points and you're starting to get to the point where you really need to invest in your scouting, if, if you're not going to hire a guide, um, the best way to learn these units in Utah as a non-resident is, is to buy a tag, come out for a couple of days every year, run some cameras if you can, and try to learn a few spots because you can hunt right while the limited entry elk hunt is going on. You know exactly what's going on and where the elk are. It's a really smart way to do it. Um, there's a lot of guys that get a little bit upset that the general season gets run at the same time, and I think that's where the the weak gap they gave you at the end came from is people were upset that they've waited you know, X amount of years, 12, 15 years for this elk tag. And then they got all these spike hunters on top of them messing up their hunt. I think that's where that gap came from is they decided, Hey, we're going to give the limited entry guys a week of, of good hunting by themselves. Um, I, I don't have a lot of issues with cow and spike hunters. I, I don't, I, I've never it, opening weekends, usually pretty crazy, but for the most part, um, the, the ranges are so big. I don't see a whole lot of them. I, I won't say I haven't had hunts messed up by them, but it is public land and they have as much right to be there as, as anybody does. So I, I've never had a real issue or been really upset about it. Yeah. Uh, in, in speaking specifically about some of the units, you mentioned the Boulder, the Dutton, the Fish Lake, the Monroe, um, one of the things, you know, I, well, I drew my tag. I, I did not kill a bull, but I still have to wait five years before I can apply for elk again. Um, right. I, I believe that's correct. And, but I can still continue to apply for, you know, mountain goat and deer and sheep and, 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 you know, the rest of the animals, um, I thought that was an interesting deal. Whether you harvest or don't harvest, you have to sit out for five years. Is that the same thing with a resident or does that just apply to non-residents? No, that's residents have to do the same thing. They call it a probation period. Once you draw a tag, you have a five-year gap you have to sit on. Um, and yeah, you still get to build your points for the other species. Uh, residents have to pick a species. So um, I drew my elk tag in 2003. I've been applying for limited entry deer since, and so I have 14 deer points and nothing on elk. Um, kind of frustrating, but I, I think they're compensating the non-residents because it's, they give away so few of tags. There's not a lot of, you know, certain units, there's only, even the biggest ones like the Manti, there's 20 tags for non-residents. So by giving them the ability to put in for all species all the time, kind of gives them incentive to keep putting in for Utah instead of kind of dropping the ball once you draw one tag. Yeah, for sure. I want to talk specifically about these elk units, but before we do that, I just want to branch over real fast and talk about 
the deer in Utah because that's another thing that it was a, it's still a little bit confusing to me, but there's limited entry deer, but there's also um, there's a dedicated uh, deer hunter program for residents only, I believe. I don't I don't think that's open to non-residents. And then there's general deer units. Um, explain a little bit how that works uh, with the deer draw. It's kind of similar to the elk. Um, the limited entry units are kind of our premier units. Um, and that's like the, the Ponta the, Gaunt and the Hen- Henry's Mountains, right? Those two units yep. specifically. Okay. Uh huh. And there's uh, I design well, no Zion's general anymore. The uh, Oak Creek, Vernon, uh, Dolores Triangle, the the Book Cliffs. There's quite a few limited entry units. Um, and and they have a harvest objective, an age class they're trying to keep under tabs, if that makes sense. And then the general units, which most of the general units lie within the same borders as the elk units. So the Boulder Kaparowitz uh, mountain range has a limited entry elk unit, and then that is a general deer unit. That's a unit that you can draw as a non-resident every year, as a resident every other year. Uh, you have to pick your weapon, so you you can put in for a archery, muzzleloader, rifle type hunt and draw it every other year. Um, I our general units that they, they don't keep an age class objective. They take it's more about percentages on how you know what gets harvested rather than age class, where the limited entry units is all age class. Um, but there's just as good a deer to guys who work really hard. Um, I, I see giant deer every single year on all of those units. Um, and they're all general season tags that you can hunt every other year. So there are non-resident guys that I put in for elk hunts every year who come out, you know, there's one group from North Carolina, they come out and hunt every year for deer and just to learn the elk areas and they kill deer. Not giants, but they kill 170s, 150 type deer all the time. Um, another group that does that is that Heartland Bow, Heartland Bow Hunters. They have a TV show. They come down on one of our hardest deer units and kill a decent buck every single year for their TV show on a general unit that you can draw every year. So that too is another way to kind of scout for your limited units is spending time down here just hunting the general season units. The dedicated hunter program, I, I think you're right. I think it is for residents only. Um, it, it, allows, uh, it, it allows residents to be guaranteed a tag for three years running. Um, there's some rules on that. You have to do so many years, so many hours of uh, community service. I think it's 40 hours. Uh, the permit itself costs about $200. And um, you can only kill two, year, two deer out of those three years, but that not only are you guaranteed a tag for those three years, but you get it for all three seasons. So you can hunt archery, rifle, or muzzleloader season. So that allows guys to kind of hunt a lot more, to spread out their hunts and kind of enjoy it a little better, not just one solid week-long hunt. It can be spread out over an entire fall. 
Yeah, and what an opportunity um, for for the residents that uh, you know can pattern a buck all summer and run trail cameras and try and hunt them with the bow. And if they don't get them killed, you know, then I believe be able to hunt them with a muzzleloader. And if they don't get them killed, be able to try and hunt them with a with a rifle. It, it doesn't bode well for big mule deer. I mean, I, I would think a bunch of you Utah killers, you know focus in on that and can single out a single buck and you know kill some big bucks for a resident though that's that's you know that's why they call it dedicated i mean if if you are a dedicated hunter i think you could kill some giant bucks um by using that dedicated hunter program and is the community service it's hunting related or or related to wildlife isn't it like helping drinker build drinkers and different things or is it or can it be any community service um, you can apply for, for certain types of, like you can say you own a, like a gravel company, you could apply and say, Hey, I want to donate a bunch of gravel. This is what it's worth. And you, they, they might trade you out hours for it, but usually it's a service project that they have dedicated or set aside and the hunters have to kind of watch the list as to what pops up for hours to do. And then they can jump on and serve so many hours per year. And usually if, if you do eight hours one year and 16 hours the next and eight hours the next, you kind of get it all knocked out and it's not all that bad. It's one or two days a year tops. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Let's talk about uh, your top elk units. And you said you guide in the Boulder and the Dutton and Fish Lake um, the most. Uh, but before we get into those, just give me what you feel as far as best units in the state, maybe your top five or give me your top picks, regardless if you guide in them, just like give me, you know, one, two, three, four, five, right off the top of your head, why you think those are the, and why you think those are the best units, like defend your position, um. if you will. <laughs> no problem. Uh, so Utah actually has, um, they've broke all the units up into age class units. Um, and, you know, the, the upper age classes are premier units, and they have five. There's the Boulder, the San Juan, the Roadless Book Cliffs, and the Beaver. Those are our seven-and-a-half to eight-year-old bull units. Um, and then as you go down to the six-and-a-half to seven, there's Dutton, Penguich Lake, uh, the Nebo, uh, Book Cliff South and the Pavant, and then kind of all the others kind of wash into the younger bulls, the five and a half to six, Fish Lake, Manti, Wasatch, and there's a bunch in the Cache County area that all have that same age class. Um, I, I still think, you know, some of those units that are the older age class, the, the Pavant that's managed for a six and a half to seven-year-old bull, I think does better than, say, uh, the roadless book cliffs. Um, at least pattern wise, they, they seem to kill bigger bulls. There was a 420 something and two, uh, 405 and a 413, I think last year that came off the Pavant. And I don't know of any that came off the beaver that big. Um, I could be wrong. I more than likely I'm wrong, but I, not that I can recall. And same with the roadless book cliffs. Um, one or two comes out that are big 380, 390 class bulls every year but not that many that ever break that. Whereas uh, the Pavant, the Dutton has one that kicks out every other year. Penguich Lake had a four, I think Melanie's bull scored 407. 
and those units aren't managed for that age class. Um, but by far, um, Boulder, San Juan, definitely Utah's top units. Um, every year they produce multiple 400-inch bulls. Um, as far back as I can remember, I, I mean, we kind of had a low spot in 2011 and 12. Both of those units suffered a little bit. Um, I think that was uh, I think that was the introduction to the the late hunts. The the late elk hunt. They have a late rifle hunt in November that they introduced in about 2008 or nine. Um, good hunt, especially for units that have like south facing slopes where bulls winter. Um, so units like the Dutton and units like the San Juan, where the bulls bachelor up on big south faces and you're able to glass and kill them, um, that November hunt can be a great hunt. Uh, the problem with that is, is most of the bulls getting killed on that late hunt are that your up-and-comers, you know, your 340 to 360-type bulls that are going to be your giants next year are all getting hammered on that late hunt. It, so those units really suffered going into 2011, 12, 13, because it really wasn't expected for them to hammer so many big bulls on those late hunts. Um, since then, it's recovered. They've kind of managed the numbers a little bit better. Uh, San Juan's back up there. I still think that's probably our best unit in the state, especially if you're looking for a a great like glassing unit where you can get up on ridges and glass for miles and it's lots of aspens and it's beautiful. And then there's desert country as well. If you want to chase bulls on plateaus with the PJs, um, Boulder is a plateau straight up. It's, um, it, it's nasty and it's mean. And I kill a lot of my bulls in Arizona country. A lot of them are in slick rock with ponderosas and PJs everywhere. Um, and that they, the boulder does not have a very good late season hunt, that late season rifle. Because it's so um, thick, right? Yeah, and, and it's a plateau and you can't glass. So these bulls, you've got to hunt them like mule deer. You'll get on a track and follow them forever and hope he's a big bull. Um, if he's not, I mean, that might be the only bull you see. So you kill him if he's 330 or 360. Um, so the boulder does well because that late hunt is very ineffective. Um, and that's probably one of the only reasons that unit's doing as well as like the San Juan right now, because San Juan has better numbers and more public land. Um, so in, in my mind, those are the two best units. Both of them have really high success rates on rifle. Um, both of them are in the 90 percentile for success rates on kills. Um, and even on archery, I think San Juan sits about 46% and Boulder sits about 52 or 51%. Um, they're not always the age class that they say a seven and a half year old bull on those units will typically break 390. They're usually our big, big bulls. Um, I only know of five that came off the boulder that were in that age class and maybe three on the San Juan last year. So that means most of the bulls killed, um, are in a younger age class. I'd, I'd say around four and a half, five years old. And keep in mind, too, something that kind of blew me away, like total archery permits on the boulder, uh, you might know the exact number. Was there like 16 permits or something? Um, for non-resident or resident? Uh, total. Total archery. It's really low, though, right? There's, there's, uh, It's under 20, I think, total, isn't it, on the boulder? 
I I think it's eleven for archery. I think it's nine resident and two non. Yeah, and so no. for me it was a little confusing trying to figure out how many permits. I'm looking at uh, Ryan uh, Gohan Insider is a title sponsor of my podcast, and I'm looking here at the Plateau Boulder Caparowitz. Uh, excuse me, I just dropped my iPad. Uh, draw odds in applications, and it looks like in 2015. There was one person that applied with 18 points. Now we're talking about the archery here. There was one person that applied with 17. Uh, last year in 2016, the highest point uh, number that was applied there was 16 points. There were two people with 16, and then there were four people with 15, two more people with 14, one person with 13, and then 10 people with 12 points. Um, talking about non-residents here, Interesting, the tag that was drawn, one of the per- people that put in f- with 16 points, one out of two, uh, drew uh, last year. One person, one non-resident drew with 16 points, and then the other non-resident drew with, it looks like, six points. And there were 11, last year there were 11 applicants for that, the tag was uh Six, six points. point bracket so so yeah. the two non-residents um came from uh 16 point pool and the six point pool talk a little bit about how that works for someone that is a non-resident um and doesn't have say you know 17 15 16 17 points they still can draw in the lower point pool correct yeah, so this is this is where it gets kind of confusing because we're we're going back to where I was talking about the max point pool because so for that unit I'm going to take the boulders non-resident archery uh, right now and just kind of tackle it a little bit so um, if there there were only two permits issued for non-residents for that unit. And they split that in half. One goes to the max point pool. One goes to everybody who puts in. So, as you were saying, the max point pool in 2016 was 16 points. There were two people that put in. One of those two drew. They had a 50-50 chance. One of those guys drew. The other tag went to everybody, including the 16-point guy who didn't draw. So, whether you have six points or six that's how many times your name got put into the hat um then they just draw a random guy so it could be one point it could be eight points it could be the other 16 point holder all in all it looks to me like there was about 160 people that put in no 168 people that put in so that guy that drew with six had a one in 168 chance to draw it like it his odds weren't very good got super lucky And this is where it gets really hard for me as an outfitter to try to explain to people. If you are not, um, if you have not been putting in for multiple, multiple years for these premier units like the Boulder and the Pavant and the San Juan, and you are below the point creep, you are wasting your time putting in. It is super, super hard to get a tag. Just because, one, there's not a lot of tags available. Two, 
one of the few tags is going to the max point holders. So if I look at the Boulder rifle, um, max points they did, so there was three tags issued for non-residents. Max points was 21 points. Now, say you have 16 points, which is a lot of points for non-resident. There's not many people, maybe 50 or 60 total, who have more than 16 points. Um, so even at that, if you look at the point creep on that, you're going to wait for your max point. If you're, if you're unlucky like me, because I, I don't draw till I'm the last guy with max points. That's just my, <laughs> that's my going rate. So if, if I look at my statistics on drawing that, I'm sitting at 16 points. There are 32 people above me between 21 points and 16. And if there's only three tags issued and one's going to max point pool, I might have 32 years before I draw that tag, before I'm guaranteed. And that, you know, depends on the flip and who moves to what units and who gets tired of waiting and moves. But statistically speaking, if you have 12 points or say you have four, if I look at four and I add up all those numbers of guys ahead of me, there are 326 people in front of me that's 326 years before I'm guaranteed a tag in the max point pool. And so that's why I say if, if, if you're not above the point creep and, and some of those units, the point creep's not as bad as others, the Manti, the point creep sits at about four, whereas the Boulder, the point creep sits about 16. Right. The San Juan, the point difference. creep sits. Yeah. And so, and, and the Manti is an okay unit. The Manti, Last year produced one 390, two 370s, and at least two dozen bulls in that 350 to 365 range. Um, again, there's 200 and something tags issued on that unit, but it is a very big unit, and there's a lot of decent bulls. If you hunt hard enough and you get enough information, you can capitalize on units like that without having a massive amount of points. But if you are above the point creep, I tell people to hold out because it, all in all, there, there's not very many units that produce 400-inch bulls. There's, there's a two or three in Arizona, there's two or three in Utah, and there's one or two in Nevada. And Then you get those randoms that pop out out of New Mexico, Wyoming, and Montana. But consistent units that produce 400-inch bulls, there are very few. So if you are above the point creep, don't give up and jump into those other units. Stick with it. Hire a good guide. Work your butt off. You, that is where you can capitalize on on Utah's good bulls. If yeah, all that I mean, makes sense. Yeah, I'm looking. I just pulled up here on Go on Insider. I pulled up the 2016 tags. There's 134 resident tags and 14 non-resident tags. Speaking about the rifle, um, and last year. The 2016 compared to 2015, last year, one guy drew, this talking just non-resident here, one guy drew with 18 points, one guy drew with 17 points, and five guys drew with 16 points. What's interesting is there was only one person with 18 points that applied, he drew. There was only one uh, person with 17 points, he drew. And there was only six people that applied with 16 five of those drew so in other words 
there's one guy with 16 that now has 17 points uh, that, you know, you know, that would be ahead of if you're if you're in the 15 point pool. There was 26 people that applied with 15 points and one of those drew. So now there's 25 that have 16 points, if that makes sense. Um, but it's a big difference when you're talking about that compared to your odds of drawing, a, you know, a boulder or a San Juan or something like that. Right. You, you follow me? Yep. No, I'm, and then, I'm following and then you very he, well. I hope our listeners are. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's, you know, someone with nine points that drew the Manti rifle. Uh, you know, there were 31 people in that category uh, and one of them drew. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah, I mean, we kind of run into the same thing in Arizona where you've got a couple of your top units that the odds are very, very difficult. And then if you could, you know, kind of drop down a little bit and maybe hunt, um, what I call kind of some mid tier units, like I just pulled up the Manti archery and it looks like in 16, there were 98 resident tags and nine non-residents. So let's look at this. There were, um, in 2016, there were two applicants with 13 points that both drew. And there were four people with 12 points. Two of those drew. So that was, you know, a 50% chance of drawing there. Um, and then bounce all the way down to the next that was someone with eight points that drew someone with four points that drew and someone with one point there were three people with one point as a non-resident that drew that mm -hmm. so it's it, it's just interesting to see the the odds on those mid-tier units they're they're quite a bit better like what kind of quality um you know you're, you're talking about the the manti you're talking about the fish lake you're talking about um uh you were talking about book click book cliff south i mean you can still if you really work your butt off you can have a great hunt don't you think oh absolutely um i i don't think you you hold out you're not i mean even if you've found one really good bull and I, I don't think you pass a lot of your 340 350 type bulls you want to capitalize every stock you can make on those bulls but there are decent bulls killed on those units every year. Um, the Southwest Desert, the Nebo, they're all in that kind of same mid-tier level. Great bulls. I mean, I, I live on the Nebo unit. I can look out my front window and spot bulls. I don't see a lot of giant bulls, but I see a lot of 330-type bulls that made it through this winter that should be a little bit bigger next year. Yeah, you can kill a 350 on the Nebo. With a bow, that's a great bull, and you can do it within, well, I I don't know. I'd have to look, but the Nebo non-resident. It's, it's um, last year, there was one applicant with 11 points that drew, and he, he drew mm -hmm. with one point, and then there was no applicants with 10, no applicants with 9, no applicants with 8. There was one applicant with 7 points, and he did not draw. He or she, she I, sh I guess I shouldn't say he, but, uh, uh, and then there was one applicant three. With, with three points that drew. Um, <clears throat> yeah, and, and, you know, it looks like the harvest success last year uh, was 42%. Uh, 
Um, and there's 12 resident tags and two non-residents. I, I want to back up for a second just to be clear to the listeners. Um, if if the unit only has one tag available for non-residents, they, they are not in the bonus point pool or or meaning they're just like me last year on the beaver. I drew that. I happen to be the highest point bonus point holder that put in for that unit but that didn't really mean that I could draw the tag it, it meant I had a better shot at it because I had more names in the hat so to speak but that if it's only one tag it's a crapshoot you, you know you're yeah you could uh, someone with zero or one or five points could draw almost just as easy as I drew a 16. right yep it- and like I said, so the max point pool always comes from 50% of half the tags rounded down. So if there's five, two of those points go to max the max point pool. If there's seven, three of them. If there's six, three of them, if, if that makes sense. But sure. yeah, one, there isn't a max point pool. So the Pavant, Archery, non-resident, there is only one tag. There is not a max point pool for that unit. Yeah, it helps to have lots of points like you did for the beaver, but in all reality, your odds are terrible in the Pavant, even at max points, whatever that may be, because there isn't really a max point pool. Sure, I get it. Um, let's let's um, talk a little bit about your boulder unit that you like so much. You spend a lot of time up there. Um, I follow you on Instagram, and you run a lot of trail cameras uh you know you talked about earlier how it's a plateau and and it's it's hard to glass i mean i've been there and it's very very thick it's got some real high uh beautiful country but overall the whole unit is thick and not real glassable but like you said that makes it conducive for you know bulls to get big and my question is 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 kind of twofold but let's start with how do they bugle typically on the boulder speaking about the archery hunt you know with it starting on the 19th of of august when do you consistently like start hearing bugling and when when are they bugling enough say where you can get on them um and then you know what kind of tactics are you using have you found to be um effective there on the boulder okay um so because I'm an outfitter by nature, I have to trophy hunt. Um, so I hunt a little bit different than most guys. Most guys, especially when they wait that many years, they want the romantic elk experience. They want the rut. They want to be chasing bugling bulls. They want to be in the thick of everything, which is so much fun. Um, I Because I trophy hunt, I like to hunt them like mule deer. If I can, if I can kill them, pre-rut while they're still in their summer patterns they're they're, they're easier to track if that makes sense so if, if i can locate the bulls and kill them the first week of the bow hunt that's how i like to do it however for the rut uh about labor day they they start kicking in labor labor day weekend is always uh pretty hot for bugling bulls in certain sections now they're not really rutting uh, like anywhere, they they kind of uh, you know your your marginal big bulls, your 340 type bulls, 
they they kick in to high gear once the velvet comes off and they start getting a little more rambunctious and travel more. They'll start pushing cows and bugling, but the rut really isn't happening. I don't think any cows are in heat. Uh, you can call in bulls at this point. Uh, more often than not, they're not your mature bulls. Uh, those bulls don't really fire up until about the 15th, which Utah kind of shifts the hunt over to the rifle guys. Um, Utah kind of favors the good old boy rifle hunt. Uh, the rut isn't so conducive for the archery guys. It's actually very hard, especially for trophy hunting um, with with bow gear. That's why... I love Especially when you hunt. can't glass, right? I mean, when you can't glass and you're <laughs> trying to trophy hunt, it makes it tough, but that's also why they're big on the boulder. Yes, because it's it's not an effective rut hunt. So I tell guys, I, my clients especially, I'm like, hey, let, let's not wait for the rut. Let's get it done early um, when I can pattern them and kill them because just like white-tailed mule deer, once the rut kicks in, they start traveling to find the hot cows and does. I mean, they, they move a long ways. I have bulls that I hunted during the archery hunt on Labor Day in one area and found them on the muzzleloader hunt end of the month, um, 25, 30 miles from where they used to be. They move a lot during the rut. And so trying to trophy hunt or pinpoint one specific bull in an area you can't glass is next to impossible during the rut. The rut's fun. But I always tell trophy hunters, hey, if you want to rut hunt, go to New Mexico. You'll have a great time. You'll kill a decent bull. You want a trophy hunt, let's get it done early while we can pattern them. So, Ryan, with that patterning, uh, do, you, do you do a lot of wallows or water sitting? Or, or how, you know, do you sit tree stands? What in your mind, for those out there listening, if they want to kill the biggest bull, what is the most effective way early to kill a big bull? Um, I, so I, like you said, I run a lot of trail cameras, um, usually not, um, maybe on the boulder, I run 40 to 50, uh, I always keep a couple fish lake Dutton, but they're all under five or six. I have one or two on the Pavant and a couple on the Nebo right now. Um, I don't get to them very often cause I don't guide those units as much. Um, but I, I shift them up quite a bit. Uh, trail cameras allow me to kind of find out where they are. If I can locate them in the summer, I can kind of put more cameras in that specific area, try to kind of knock them into a rotation. And yeah, I'm, I'm a huge tree stand hunter. I, <laughs> I, I do have blinds. Um, I, I have more than a dozen stands that I leave up on all of those units that are up right now that stay all winter. Um, and they're usually pretty good spots over years. So um, last year, uh, my archery lady, Donna Pickett, um, opening day, I had her in a stand, uh, let's see in the evening, she had one of my really big bulls coming in, uh, almost killed him, caught a little too dark. She couldn't quite see her pins, let him slip out. Um, the next morning, the bull she killed, uh, was a desert bull. Um, I was able to glass him the night before. Uh, kind of slipping through some PJs and I kind of knew what water, water source he was going to. So we slipped in on that water source, no blind, no stand, anything, and sat on it until he showed up at 9 a.m. and she made a good play on him. Um, so there is some glassing. I do, but tree stands are my go-to. Uh, I'm a big fan of Ozonics. 
I'm a big fan of water. Um, I, I don't put a lot of cameras on wallows. I, I do have a few. And it, the reason why is because it's, it's kind of like the strip, at least in southern Utah. You find a good wallow and there's six cameras on it. And there's a lot of vandalism that goes on and I don't like dealing with it. So I, d- I don't put a lot of cameras on wallows, but I do have tree stands on them. What is it about the boulder, Ryan, that those bulls um, seem to wallow early? Like in Arizona, our bulls don't really wallow until the rut hits. Uh, the boulder, it seems like they're wallowing in, in August. And, you know, soon after they shed their velvet, they're in there wallowing. Uh, you know, typically the, I see them wallowing here in Arizona when they're right in the peak of the rut, really getting hot and chasing around. But it seems like you know, the wallows there on the, the boulder are, um, you know, they just love to wallow. Uh, I, I don't know that they're, they're wallowing to get stinky when it's early. I think they're wallowing to stay cool. Um, yeah, elk use their, elk when they're in the velvet, use their horns like a radiator. It's like a, it keeps them cool kind of as the air flows through them it kind of brings their body temperature down and as their velvet peels off they get really hot so yeah i get pictures of elk sitting in water holes and sometimes rolling in them but i think they're more trying to stay cool than they are in rut mode uh i'm I'm surprised they don't do that more in arizona because it's the same thing it's really hot and they've got to take their body temperature down but um they they do roll quite a bit I, I have pictures of them. I mean, even when it's cold, November, I see them crawl into wallows and roll around a bit. I, I just, I'm not sure if that's a, a just an instinctive nature they have. Uh, I, I, I don't notice much difference between my units. I, they all start rolling about the same time. It's about Labor Day um, in, in all my units with all my cameras, but that's just my experience. Okay, I've got another question for you. If you pattern a bull, um, let's say all summer, and then I heard you say that he moves, you know, 20, 25 miles and goes off and ruts and carries on and what have you, I assume you keep your cameras up all year round. Does that bull then show back up to the summer ground? Um, and is this where you find them all summer also where they more than likely retreat to back after the rut and that's where you could find them on the late hunt or are they three completely different areas? You know, it, it kind of depends on the bull. I, I have, I have bulls that I can find them in the same place in November as I do in August. They, they don't move too far. They rut right there. They stay right there. And I can find them in those places year after year. Um, that bull I was talking about earlier that that I hunted in on Labor Day on one side of the unit and 25 miles south, I found him rutting in another place in the muzzleloader. That winter, he spent on the opposite side of the mountain than he did the year before. And then come summertime, I was looking for him back where I had him on archery the year before and couldn't turn him up. On Labor Day, I found him still down on that other side where he had rutted the year prior. Um, so I, I think it just kind of depends on the bull. I, I don't think they – I think they're just kind of nomadic. Elk, I've never had real consistent patterns. 
And I do have a few bulls that come back to the same spot every year or pass through the same spot every year. My biggest bull I have on the boulder, I've got pictures of him three years running. I think he's pushing 415 as a typical six. Um, I've had three pictures of him, and that's it, three right in a row, 30 seconds apart, the last four years running. I have not seen this bull hard-horned. I've never seen him live. I've never hunted him, and I don't know anybody who's picked up his sheds. But I've consistently got his picture on the same camera four years running just one time during the summer. So in other words, you would say that that bull, that's a summer pattern for that bull, but you have yet to establish any other pattern other than, my question would be, how close in dates, I think you said three years running, like within a few days of each other, like he's there and then he's gone? Or or, yep. or was it one in June, one in July? and one, I mean, were, were they all in one month? So like that's where he hangs that particular month? I, and I don't know if he even hangs there because I only get one picture, you know, that, that, that one three burst picture. And one year, the only time I posted his picture was 2014. I haven't posted any pics from 15 or 16. Um, but yeah, they, I think in 14 was around uh, July 3rd or 4th. Or yeah, the next 15, I think, was around the 17th. And same with 16, which was around the 15th or 16th of July. Again, just one three-group picture those years, and then I never saw him again. So I don't know if he stayed in there or if that's – maybe he crosses the plateau and drops down right there, and I just catch his picture that date every year. I have no idea. I'm sure that's one that just makes you want to pull your hair out. Oh, I'd, I'd love <laughs> to see someone kill him. Even if it's not me, I just want to know he's not a ghost, you yeah. know? <laughs> It's it's times like that though that the trail cameras are mind blowing and what what you can actually see and learn from them. But on the other hand, it's a bull like that. Sometimes you wish, gosh, I wish I didn't even know about him because I'm sure you spend a lot of nights just trying to figure out where the heck he is. <laughs> That's why I don't believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> I, I think someone would have got him by now. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good. Um, let's talk about the um, ban of shed hunting there in Utah. Um, and I'll let you run with this, but I believe the Department of Wildlife uh, put a ban statewide, I believe, for elk, deer, for everything. No, no shed hunting until, I believe, in April or something. Um, tell me why you think they did it and tell me if, uh, what you think of the ban. Um, well, I like it. Uh, the, the reason they did it this, this winter was, uh, huge. I, I own a property maintenance company. We do snow removal and this was one of my biggest years I've ever had as far as making money because we, we just, we plowed and plowed and plowed and plowed. Um, Northern Utah, especially the town of Ogden, Logan, Morgan, that area, Cache County, really got hit hard. I mean, in the city, four feet of snow, let alone on the foothills where all the deer and elk are. Um, we're going to have a bad winter kill this year. A lot of areas and a lot of the units, I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, the deer numbers are going to be down. Um, when, you'll and have a winter if, kill in deer, not elk. No elk will die, will they? I no. I think we'll have some elk too. You know, one one of the problems that 
that I saw this winter is they were okay with um, banning shed hunting, but they allowed our cow hunters to hunt till January 31st. Our biggest snowstorms was December and January 1st. Christmas Day and New Year's Day were our two biggest snowstorms this year. People were still pursuing animals. You know, I watched two guys climb up this hill pushing a herd of 200 elk trying to get a cow in four and five feet of snow. Those guys probably killed 20 elk because I saw calves that just weren't moving anymore. Um, So it's hard. I I don't... The the fishing game do the best they can. I I don't put blame anywhere. But I do think it's kind of hypocritical a little bit. But I I like the shed ban. I think... um, I think it helps the animals, you know, guys can still hike up in glass and videotape and watch their animals. They just can't go hike around and pursue them. If any kind of harassment, they're going to get a ticket, which I think is great. It's going to give these animals a little bit more time to recover. And as far as it being a shed hunter is concerned, in my mind, I look at it like April 1st, everyone's going to have to pick a spot. Now, some places there's going to be 20 guys running for that spot, but most places, guys are going to be, you know, they, the mule deer guys are going to be running to the Henrys or San Juan or some of these units where they kind of have a honey hole. They're not going to be hitting the boulder and the San Juan, or they're not going to be hitting the Pavant and the San Juan. They have to pick a spot. And they didn't, the animals weren't scared around when they were shedding. So that shed, there's going to be more sets picked up close together rather than one side at the bottom of the mountain and one side at the top of the mountain because somebody pushed them up there. I, I think it's good. I, I think if everyone kind of obeys the rules and be patient, I, I still think everyone's going to pick up sheds. Um, I still think it's going to be fun and I think it's good for the animals. So I'm all for it. Yeah. I know it's a hot topic right now in Utah. Um, I kind of cut you off before I believe uh, when you were telling me about your um, lady client that you guys slipped in on that water and killed that bull, she killed a heck of a bull, didn't she? Uh, yeah. No, it, it was a really big bull. It uh, grossed at 406. Um, just just a giant framed bull. He, he had a big body. I really, I really missed him calling him on the hoof. Uh, we went in to kill a 370 bull, and he went a lot bigger than I thought. Um, and, and the boulder bulls do do that to me. I, I misjudge a lot of them because like everybody else, I run my numbers off time lengths and I'll miss the gap on the, on the frame. You know, if, if you're looking at a bull with an average of 50 beams and a 40 inch inside, well, this bull had 60 inch beams and a 52 inch inside and 65 inches of mass rather than 52. It just added up to where he was a lot bigger than I thought he was, but all the same, I mean, she, it, whether he was 370 or 400, like she went in and made an amazing play on this bowl. It, it all just kind of came together, which, you know, all good hunts do. That, that's kind of what makes them fun is when everything kind of falls into place. And it was, it was great. She did a great job. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about that a little bit with, you know, big bodies on any animals, whether it's, you know, a mule deer, coos deer, elk, you know, sheep, whatever. If you've got small bodies, the racks look big. If you've got big bodies, you know, the, the, the body size swallows up and, and kind of takes your, you know, when you're looking at, even if you're not using anatomical references, you know, saying, oh, this, you know, this many inches or that many inches, 
um, big bodies can make racks look small and, and, you know, it, it throws mass off, you know, it throws main beam length off like what you're saying. And so it sounds like it was just a, just a big bodied bull. And it's always nice when you think it's, you know, three seventies type bull and you get there and it's 400. <laughs> that's always nice. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's where, that's why I can't coos hunt. <laughs> they they all look like monsters to me and then i forget their their bodies about the size of a dog <laughs> yeah yeah a, a small dog in that uh one thing we haven't talked about is uh utah has conservation tags which is uh different than arizona um explain a little bit how those conservation tags work um okay they you know, I, I can't recall when they started. It seemed like they started uh, selling off conservation permits in the early 2000s, 2005, or somewhere right there. They take an allotment, uh, uh, however many tags they're giving. Say there's 30 tags they're giving away on that unit. They set aside, say, 10% to sell as a conservation tag, um, which brings in a lot of money for the state. Um, I, I did on the, there's only three boulder tags. No, there's, there's four boulder tags. They sell, um, one archery, one called a premium tag, which allows that tag holder to hunt all four seasons. Um, early rifle, late rifle, archery, and muzzleloader. And then there's a choose two choose your weapon permits, um, that allow them to pick their weapon. Uh, the archery, we bought it sold around 23,000 i think the first any weapon tag sold around 36,000 and the premium sold around 52 um that was about $110,000 that was brought into the state for conservation just off those three tags um some people get a little bit upset about it um i think it's i think it's an amazing process and it allows it allows people to to be able to i mean i mean anybody can buy them it's not like it's limited to certain people because if you if you really really were desperate enough to hunt a big bull you could sell a couple four-wheelers and buy a manti tag by buying a conservation permit i i bought one the other day for eight thousand dollars for a client it's not that expensive some of them are you know, I, the Antelope Island sold for 250000 this year, and a deer before sold for 410 Ridiculous money for an animal, but it's a write-off to these people who can't afford it, and it brings in a lot of money to the state for conservation. Let's talk about that. I think it's a great deal. Let's talk about that a little bit, because um, I know it is a hot topic there in Utah. You've got a portion of the um, community that hates them, does not want to see you know, the conservation tags, but from your perspective, whether your client gets the conservation tag or not, because I'm sure there's years when you haven't been, uh, you know, your client hasn't been the successful purchaser. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell me from your perspective, like, what have you seen the quality and and some of the things that that the Department of Wildlife has been able to do I mean, from my perspective, coming from Arizona, when I went up there for the beaver, I saw, you know, tons of chainings. I saw tons of, 
habitat restoration projects that are strictly funded by those tags. And for me coming here, look, I'm like, man, it seems like the wildlife here is thriving. It seems like the habitat is, you know, they're working diligently on creating unbelievable habitat for the wildlife. Uh, you know, as an outsider, I, I just, I get the fact, oh, it's the rich guy and it's this, that, and the other. But one question I would have for you is like, have you seen with your own eyes, like, have you seen improvements that that money has, you know, the, the generated money has been able to do, uh, you know, since you've been around? I mean, have you seen a noticeable difference? Well, that, that's a, that's hard for me to say. I, because the the hard thing for me is that they're not so transparent where the money's going. Um, and, and I've had to say this a few times where most of it goes to, you know, so say the, the tags that went to the last expo, the money gets sorted through both the division of wildlife and the sportsman for fish and wildlife. Both organizations do a lot of projects for wildlife, it, habitat restoration, animal relocation. It, those things do go on. I, I don't know exactly what dollar amount goes where. Utah does do a very good job at prescribed burns, um, chaining on, on areas, especially premier units. There's a lot of chaining that goes on, in, like on the Henry Mountains. Um, there's going to be a lot go on the Monroe this year. Um, a lot of money does go into that, and it, it really does do good things for the animals. Um, I, I do understand people's perspective about it changing things to a rich man sport. I, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. Uh, <laughs> I, I do. I do see. Every, everyone can do this. Everyone can buy those tags. It, it's not just a rich man's game. It's just whoever puts their priorities where they want them. Like I said, I I've I've really thought about selling a couple four wheelers and buying a Manti tag and taking off a year of guiding because I want to go kill a bull. And I'm limited to one species on my application. So I don't know that I'll be able to kill another big bull before I turn 60 in Utah. So to have that conservation permit be an option for me, I'm glad it's there. Um, I also get a lot of clients conservation tag. Um, They appreciate the fact that they don't have to put in 16 plus years to be above the point creep to get the tag. Um, (laughs) <laughs> I'm an opportunist. I think it's a great thing. But as far as personally witnessing where the money goes, I, I've never seen that. I can't say that I ever have. No, I, I was, I was know more asking, on. like, um, do, you, do you see firsthand the improvements and the quality of habitat that they're creating? Like, I mean, if, if you were asked point blank, do you believe that the money is going to good use would your answer be yes or no? I mean, I, I, I would say I would, what I, I would saw say, be yes. I I would say most of it yes. I, I would say ninety percent of it yes. Yeah. I, I don't. I wish I knew. I, I wish I could feel like there was total transparency and there was no corruption. I, I don't know if there's or not, but I do see a lot of great projects. I do run into guzzlers in the middle of nowhere that no one knows about because the fish and game are more concerned about wildlife than setting up a place for someone to set tree stands in the desert. 
you know, it, like we really do, they do care and we do have great animals. You can kill a 200 inch deer on public land in Utah, maybe even year after year if you work hard enough. It, it's totally possible. And there's not a lot of places you can say you can do that. Yeah. There's not a lot of states that someone can consistently do that. And so, yes, I believe that that money is put to good use. But if I had to say if it was all put to good use, I, I don't know that I'd agree with that. But Fair enough. it's hard to say. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, okay. What I want to do here is um, the last part of our talk. I just want to – I'm on a shotgun down through units, and I want you to just kind of tell me kind of categorize like 320, 340 bulls, tough unit, da-da-da-da-da, whatever you think, just like random what comes to your head. Um, if it's a unit you don't know, just say skip or, you know, I don't know much about it and I'll just go to the next one. Before I get to that, I just want to thank, uh, first of all, my listeners for their support of this podcast. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, uh, GoHunt.com Insider. Uh, they've been the support of my podcast, the title sponsor since the beginning. Uh, you guys, you can use the J Scott promo code signing up and get a $50 Kuyu gift card, uh, for signing up. I want to thank Lorenzo and his crew over there at GoHunt.com uh, insider for their support. Also Kuyu, uh, Jason Harrison, uh, starting here, March 1st is, uh, has stepped up to sponsor my podcast and Jason and his crew do a great job over at Kuyu and make what I believe to be the best hunting gear uh, on the market. Uh, we're going to have a few promos running with Kuyu. I'll be announcing that uh, here in some later podcasts. Uh, Cheston Davis with Phonescope, uh, the guys down in Beaver, Utah, uh, they're pretty close to you, Ryan. Phonescope.com. Mm -hmm. uh, you guys can use the uh, J Scott promo code, excuse me, J Scott 16 promo code and get a 10% discount uh, on all Phonescope products. You also uh, need to know that Phonescope is in most all Walmarts. So uh, you can go on Phonescope.com and get your discount, or you can go buy a local Walmart and pick up your Phonescope. They make the best uh, digiscoping adapter device from uh, phones to optics. They can basically get uh, make any phone work with any optic or any spotting scope, any binocular, and so you can take photos and video. And then uh, last but not least, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix, the Optics Authority, Cody Nelson and his crew, uh, the Optics Authority, uh, they, they have extreme amount of knowledge from guys that that hunt every day so you can call and talk to them at 1-800-291-8065 you can go to outdoorsmans.com either by calling them on the phone or going online you can save 10 percent if you use the j scott promo code uh, guys without those sponsors uh, this podcast wouldn't be possible and i just want to thank them for their support uh, Ryan, let's get to, I'm just going to shotgun down and just tell me, you know, keep it brief, but just tell me what comes to your head as far as quality of bulls and, in, you know, what you think about the unit. Uh, Beaver East. Good unit. Uh, stock every bull over 340. Okay. Um, Book Cliffs, Little Creek. Um Great unit for a romantic elk hunt, hunt the rut, 330 and above. Make sure you stock every bull. 
Book Cliffs, Bitter Creek South? Uh, same kind of unit, same age class. Uh, like I said, 330 type bulls and above. Um, some good areas to glass. Can be a very fun hunt. Cash North. Uh, skip, don't know a whole lot. Cash South. Same. Um, I assume Cash Meadowville, nothing? Yeah, I'm a Southern Utah guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, Central Mountains Nebo. Uh, great unit, lots of big hiking, be in shape, uh, expect a 320, 300 to 320 type bull. Central Mountains Manti. Uh, same, not as much hiking, uh, a lot of your roads are on top of the ridges, so not as much work, but great unit, I'd go after every bull over 340. Fillmore Pavant. Um, work your butt off. Uh, most of the elk are located in the same areas. Great trophy unit. Uh, you can kill 380 or better. I would stock every bull over 350, though. LaSalle. Uh, LaSalle, I, I don't know a ton. It's one of the most beautiful ranges in the state. Most of the bulls that come off are small fives and sixes, 300 class. Monroe. Another trophy unit. Uh, most of the bulls that come off are 320 type bulls, but has potential for 375 plus. Mount Dutton. Uh, about the same. Dutton's a really hard unit. Uh, 2,000 foot elevation climbs, lots of glassing. Very cool unit. Uh, most bulls, 330, 340 types. The Burns helped that unit for glassing, hasn't it? Oh, it's an amazing unit. It's my favorite unit in the state. Okay. Uh, nine mile anthro. Uh, nine mile, uh, a lot of private land. Um, not very many big bulls, uh, checkered with any bull units. So, uh, shoot any branch Chandler bull. North slope, three corners. Skip. I don't know. What. Uh, Stansbury. Um, Stansbury, most of your good bulls are on private land, uh, a CMW owned by the mine that I know of. Um, it, there are good bulls. Most of the bulls are small six points, 300 type. Panguitch Lake. Uh, great bull, great unit for the early season and the late season. Um, during the rut, most bulls would come off are 300 class. Um, but every year, uh, during either the early or the late, they, the 400 comes off. It is a great unit, but it's a sleeper. The Panguitch Lake, does it see bulls come from the Dutton and the Beaver, and, and then they go, they go back and rut on the Beaver and Dutton and then go back for the late hunt? Yep, it is a migration hunt, for sure. Ponsagant. Um, Ponsagant's been really slow for elk. Seems like one really good one came off last year, but success rate's really low. Um, and a lot of people hunt the same small area, so not a great unit that you want to invest a lot of points in. Uh, kill any six-point you see. Uh, Plateau, Fish Lake, Thousand Lakes. Uh, this is probably one of the best elk hunts for a rut that you want. Um, the age class is very small. Uh, you, most of the bulls come off are 300-type bulls. Um, however, 
you will see 30, 40 bulls a day. You can chase bugles all day long. It's a very fun hunt, but not a trophy unit. Um, during the late hunt every year, one really big bull comes off. There's been some 400s in the last two or three years. But they rut their guts out in there, bugle their brains out. Yeah, yeah. It, it can be a fun unit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, pl- obviously, Plateau, Boulder, Kaparowitz. Uh, hire a guide. <laughs> His name's Ryan <laughs> Carter with DC <laughs> Outfitters. <laughs> no, so in all reality, that, that is one of our premier units. There, there are 400-inch bulls. They are walking there right now. Um, last year, two bulls, over four, were killed that were unguided, five that were guided. Most of the bulls that came off that unit were around the 340 class. Um, it is a hard unit. It is not a fun romantic elk hunt. It is a lot of work, but it's probably one of our best. San Juan. San Juan is the pinnacle unit on Utah. I, I see more 360-type plus bulls on the San Juan than any other unit in the state. It is the hardest unit to get a tag. Um, I would not shoot anything under 360. Uh, and it is a very like romantic rut type elk hunt. It's a great, great unit. South Slope Diamond Mountain. Uh, Diamond Mountain's another one of those units that's checkered with public and private land. Uh, there are great genetics on Diamond Mountain. There is at least one 400 that comes off every year, whether it's on public land or on private. There, there is always one giant that comes off there. Um, but it, you'd really have to know your your boundaries, and you have to study that unit really hard. But it's possible. Southwest Desert. Uh, Southwest Desert, I don't hunt a lot. I don't know exactly. Most of the bulls that come off are 340, 350 type bulls. They say 400s come off there fairly often. Some of them come off the Nevada side. Um, there's some great big bulls, great potential. I don't know the unit that well. Wasatch Mountains. Uh, Wasatch another unit that uh, used to produce giant bulls. There's been four or five come off that unit that broke four, um, but it's been back in the glory years. Now they've upped the tags. I think they do 270 tags on that unit, which it, it's it, it's carrying its weight, but you want to chase every good six-point you see, 320 to 340 type bull is the majority of what comes off. West Desert Deep Creek. I don't know it that well. Right on, buddy. Well, um, any closing thoughts you have for us here? I'm going to let you go, and I appreciate all your time, but uh, what closing thoughts do you have? And uh, let the listeners know how they can find you. I know I follow you on Instagram. I believe it's DC Outfitters. Uh, But tell everyone how they can get a hold. It's Ryan Ryan underscore DC Outfitters. Yep. And uh, Facebook, Ryan Carter, Twitter, uh, same Ryan underscore DC Outfitters. Um, most of my platform is social media. I do only take a few hunters a year um, because I, I, I focus more on quality than quantity. So I, I enjoy chasing those giant bulls. Um, I, 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 if I could close just based on what we covered today, really study the point creep, look for those sleeper units, make as many phone calls as you can. Um, don't wait 40 years for, an elk permit that you may not get. I, I look at these guys on the San Juan where there's 60 people above the 16 point range, all hoping they'll get it. And there's not enough tags given 
that they may get it in their lifetime. So do some investigation and search into some other units. Um, Utah holds big bulls on most of our units. Almost all of them have produced monsters. It's just a matter of finding that sleeper and finding the right place to get him or the right guide to help you with. So really study the point creep. Um, Utah can be fun, but it can be a long wait, and it's really unnecessary if you just do your homework a little bit. Buddy, thanks so much uh, for spending time here with us and uh, wish you the best. Uh, God bless you. I didn't. I was at the National Wild Turkey Federation Convention. Uh, I wasn't able to go to the Western Hunting Expo. Uh, I've never met you, but it was uh, great having you on the phone. And uh, it's always great seeing your pictures on Instagram and seeing the passion that you have for elk. So I want to commend you on that and the success that you've had with your hunters. So um, until next time, buddy, God bless. And uh, yeah, thanks for spending time here with us. Thanks a lot, Jay. I really appreciate it. It was nice talking with you. All right, buddy. Take care.